Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another, another, another edition, 110 to be specific, of One Day Closer to Dead. I'm Dave Beaudry. And I'm Jason Bailey. And Jason, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good, buddy. I just got back from a wonderful little vacation trip a few days ago down to the mythical land of Johnson City, Tennessee to visit the Tooth Fairy. Very good trip. Uh, James and I went down there, and oddly enough, this was the very first time that Jabaka ever met the one, the only, Master James. James yeah, that went shocked down me when you told me that. I didn't yeah. realize that. No, it's because what happened was every time that I go down there for to go visit Joey, uh, usually the little man is out in Los Angeles. So he's out there visiting family, and I always am like, well, fuck, I get to be uh, a, you know, a, a bachelor, parentless human uh, for a few days. Why not have that debauchery down south? So that's usually when I go visit. But this time... I wanted to take a uh, Daddy James trip, so we went. We were going to go down to Gatlinburg, which we did. Uh, that was a fucking fiasco, but uh, it was awesome because Jobaka, who's known as the Tooth Fairy for him, got finally got to uh, see J- uh, James, and they both ran into each other, looking a lot like uh, Jesse Ventura. So it was uh, fantastic. They had a good time. I think I sent some pictures out to some of you out there, but. Uh, yeah, it was, it was good, and we did end up going to Gatlinburg, and my son is absolutely enamored with tragedy, uh, so he loves the story of the Titanic. He loves, he must love this show. Uh, I'm not letting him listen to this yet, uh, but man. it will happen. And uh, he likes like the Hindenburg. Uh, he has not moved on to the uh, Challenger explosion yet, but uh, there is a massive, very wonderful museum of, to the Titanic down there in Gatlinburg. And uh, they've got artifacts from from Titanic's wreckage and blueprints of it. And it is just an extensive, extensive museum. So bringing James there, uh, he really liked it. And you get a lot out of it. Very educational. And it's not as morbid as it sounds like. It sounds very like Simpsons family guy when I talk about it. You know, there's a museum to tragedy. But they do uh, keep it very sincere. And it's like a, a sort of a memorial to those that past as well so uh it is very good i do recommend it the rest of gatlinburg can go suck a dick uh it's a lot like las vegas but white trashed up and uh so like las vegas then well maybe that's what vegas is now i haven't been there in a few years but i can tell you that we're talking fremont street (laughs) okay it's just really really goddamn bad uh it's just uh hillbilly at las vegas so um yeah, we got the fuck out of there after the Titanic Museum, got back did to the, Johnson City and started having a good time. Did the museum have any pictures of Leonardo DiCaprio? They did not. I don't think they have permission to do much with the, you know, all of that with the Titanic. There was no uh, Celine Dion thing. music just wafting they, in the background? They Yes, there was, but it, it was like a royal... <laughs> I was kidding. It was like a royalty-free version. Uh, you know, kind of oh, like, wow. kind of like what I always have to search for for anything we do. Uh, it was some sort of mocked-up version of that Celtic uh, romantic shit. Yes, it was. But uh, I can tell you, they had some very, very good stuff on there. I cannot recommend it higher. It was the museum was actually constructed and put on by the first person that you know was the guy that found it in Alvin back in 1987. You know, James Alvin. Cameron. 
No, not fucking James Cameron. The oh. guy that actually, goddamn, ex- the explorer, the Arctic explorer, whatever the fuck his name is. I forget James the guy's Cameron. name. I'm sorry, let me, re- let me rephrase that as a, as a question. Who is James Cameron? Uh, not the motherfucker I'm talking about. Oh. So, at any rate, it was really good. I recommend it. The rest of Gatlinburg, like I said, kissed my ass. Um, and we had to get out of there because it was fall break for a lot of elementary kids out there. And goddamn, every one of them from the South was there. So, yeah. Well, I'm sure but, they all had masks on and were acting very responsibly. The kids were, not the fucking adults. Fuck all of them. But yeah, um, that's what I would have guessed. There we go. The kids act better. The kids behave better under the pandemic issue than the fucking adults. Let's just face it. We all know that. But I'll tell you something. We we really had a good time searching all of John City for every last He-Man action figure we could find, and I think James now has the entire collection of the 1982 line. So yay. But anyway, that's what we did. We had a good time and, uh, it was really fun. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's sort of what I've been into, buddy. Well, I always love it when I hear that the vanilla Godzilla got reunited with the tie dye tooth fairy. So good times. Yeah. Yeah. Good times. We, uh, do need to delve into a lot of feedback, uh, that we have received and we will get into that. Most, I mean, my God, I'd say, probably two-thirds of this fucking show, maybe more, is going to be just what you guys have crafted for us to talk about. I'm sure it's um, all positive and about how brilliant we both are, especially me, Jason. So anyway, that's uh, fiction. We'll get back to that. But um, a lot of you guys sent us an article uh, just kind of point out because we had already covered something like this in the past, uh, and it is a, another DC character uh john kent i guess in the current uh dc continuity he is the son of soups and lois i guess i don't read this comic so i don't know but they have but that that is correct okay they have picked another dc character that is kind of the character you're thinking about but not the actual character which they did the same thing with uh robin being uh bisexual or whatever the hell we talked about beforehand. Uh, and here we go. It's another character that is, I believe, gay, full-on gay, homosexual. I don't know. I uh, believe but, uh, bisexual from what I read, but I'm, I haven't read the comic in question. So no, I believe I it is bisexual, either. but I could be wrong. <clears throat> but you guys all sent that to us, and uh, some of you were pointing out to, this is ridiculous, they just did this. Do And what was interesting from the dozens out there, and I do have to side with a lot of you out there, because it wasn't, Everything we're talking about, I'll let you know, was sent multiple times from multiple people. So it's not like one person sent this. Okay. And, uh, uh, you know, it's not like, oh, that's a great idea, you know. Um, one of the people that sent it, I believe his name is Sammy Sammy S., something like that, Sammy S., and, and I'd already received this article from Joe Baca. I'd received it from a couple other people, uh, some of our Platinum listeners, but he actually uh, stated... I've just had enough of comics delving into sexuality, no, no matter what the sex is. Like he was basically saying like it didn't, he wasn't against the fact they made yet another quasi mainstream character, uh, gay or bisexual, uh, whatever the hell they're doing with all the characters. 
But what he was saying is it's sort of like, and I think I said this before with Bret Hart talking about the, you know, before the Attitude Era went full blown where he's like, you know, they're having sexual content. I just don't think that you should tune into wrestling for sex. That's not what I tune into for. It's not what kids tune into it for. It's not what I'm going to let my kids watch. And it sort of was like that. It wasn't a fuddy-duddy thing. It was just like, who the fuck cares? May I ask a follow-up question? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm not saying you would be able to answer this, but does, has did he have the same reaction every time in the past, like you know, 50 years? Superman and Lois kissed in the comics. No, I don't think so. I don't. I because at that point, I wouldn't be able to give you any kind of answer on that. It was no, but I, I, think, I do it was, think it bears questioning. It bears questioning. Yeah, I guess. But I mean, it is one of those things where I can understand when you're seeing panels of of the kissing and the laying down kissing on another panel and we're going to make yet another character and it just happened and it's starting it to me and to i think sammy s and maybe some other people out there it really does seem forced at this point it just seems like we're going to force this story of sexuality on our list on our listeners on our you know all the comic book readers again and he he's somebody that if you listen to our cast chances are extremely fucking high and we'll get into this soon that you're all liberal motherfuckers to to a certain extent okay so this was really about can we just see the good guys versus the bad guys and that kind of thing why do we have to keep reading about what turns these comic book characters on. And I think it was Jobaka that said, again, yeah, you know, let's have a BDSM session here. Let's have that whole comic with Batman where he can't get his dick up unless he's in, you know, some kind of torture chamber and Catwoman's torture. And I'd be like, this is just not what we are want to read these comics for. Well, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying, yeah, that but I I'd like to do understand like to, that opinion. I'd like to respond to that though, because I think they're, that argument is comparing apples and oranges because, and I, you know, obviously I can't speak for every previous Superman comic over the last, you know, 50 years or whatever. Like, I've, I've read very few Superman comics. I know the general mythos, but as far as the specific, you know, comics and, and issues and, you know, storylines and stuff, I, you know, it's, it's nothing that I have tremendous knowledge of. But speaking generally, um, you know, I have never heard that type of talk over, you know, decades, anytime there was a Clark Kent, Lois Lane romance story, anytime there was, you know, uh, them kissing or laying down together or anything. I'd, and if there now I think there would have been that if there had been a thing where, you know, and I'm sure there might have been at some point, but if there, if there was like a full blown like sex scene or something, you know, with full on like full nudity, then maybe, yeah, I would see that there would be a backlash there. But the the thing that slightly bothers me is that, People tend to, when making this argument, tend to try to compare, say, two people of the same sex kissing to, like, as if it were like a full-blown sex scene of heteronormative sexual relations, which is not, which is not even remotely true. Like, if it's two dudes or two girls kissing, it's no different than a guy and a girl kissing. Like, if it's part of their story, part of their relationship. Now, that story could be told good or badly as far as the, the actual writing of it. My, I mean, my general opinion on on this, I've, I've seen some of the backlash I think has been funny because some people are just looking for reasons to get outraged because I've seen more than one person on like social media be like, you know, Superman loves Lois and blah, 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 blah. Lois is his mother, you dumb fuck. Like that argument I think is hilarious because they're not even, 
like looking at what the issue is or who the character is or anything. They're just immediately like going to outrage because it makes them feel good about themselves. So it is Clark and Lois's son. I am unaware of what stories they have done with that character before. I am unaware if as Superman, he has the same powers as his dad does, or I would hope they would have mixed it up in some way, shape or form, but I don't know what they've done previously with, with the character. Well, he's got to be a very good journalist. Let's face it. Okay. If, if, if they had turned Clark Kent gay, I would see justifiably a backlash there because it's been so inherent to that character for generations, that relationship with Lois Lane. So therefore, if that change was made to the Clark Kent character, I could understand there being some fallout from that or some some you know people getting very upset about it. Same thing like, I don't know if you turned Batman full like gay because Batman's a little more um, Batman has had multiple kind of romantic interests over the years. There's been Vicky Vale and obviously, you know, Catwoman and stuff. But there's so there's been kind of various Superman. It's always been Superman and Lois like that's really always been the a big heart of that mythos. Right. Well, um, I don't know. I mean, he Superman's also had the hots for Lana. I mean, there's been Lana, Lana Lang, Lang and yeah, got Wonder but, Woman. I mean, yeah, but, he's, he's gotten around. Right, yes, but that is an or. inherent part of the Superman mythos is the Lois Lane relationship, right? So if they yeah. suddenly put him in a relationship with Jimmy Olsen, like there would be, you know, I would understand the the anger there. When Same. it's a different character who just happens to currently have the mantle of Superman, <clears throat> it doesn't bother me personally because for one, they've already told kind of every story there's left to tell from the Clark Kent side of things. So if they're... For if for whatever reason they're they're doing a new Superman, meaning a new person, a new character, John Kent or whoever as Superman, and they want to not just retread the same shit they've already done for decades, then it doesn't bother me if, as long as they tell the story well. Which I again I don't know if they are or aren't. Then I it doesn't bother me that John Kent is bisexual or gay or whatever it is. If it was Clark Kent again, I could see that backlash. But the the thing about like well I don't read comic books for for sex. Did did you have the same argument with you know Scott Summers and Jean Grey? Did you have the same argument with Peter Parker and Mary Jane Watson? If the answer is no, then your issue is solely when it comes to homosexual relationships, and not even sex, because this isn't about a sex scene. You're not seeing Superman like sucking someone's dick or something on a panel that I'm aware of. So it's more the implication than really anything that's being directly discussed or seen. And I think that speaks more with um, maybe a bit of a bias on behalf of the reader than anything necessarily that the story or the, or the, the character is necessarily doing quote unquote wrong, you know? Yeah, well, I really think DC should get some fucking balls. Quit having these characters that are quasi sort of the character that people don't have to look and go, hold on, this is Superman, this is Superman's son, cousin, this is an Elseworlds, what the fuck ever. I completely disagree. I think they should make Clark Kent gay. Honestly, <laughs> I think that Clark Kent, I've known a lot of dudes out there in when I was living in Burbank, I had a couple. I'm not gonna say who they are. I had a couple friends. They didn't come out of the closet till they were 40. It took them until they were 40 to go fuck it, tell their families they were gay, go into a full on relationship, and say I'm not. I'm 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 going to be me finally for the first time in my life at the age of 40. 
Wouldn't that be great if you fucking, you know, the Superman is dead comic, you know, where Superman died. That was a that was one of the all-time best sellers. Thought it was a shitty story, but it was one of the top sellers of all time. The, Wouldn't it be great if Clark Kent... The book by Roger Kent, Stern was great. Wouldn't it be great if Clark Kent actually started hooking up with Jimmy on the side? And he said, you know, fuck this, Jimmy. We've, been, we've worked together for 20 years. I'm going to tell Lana today. I don't give a fuck. Matter of fact, I'm going up to the goddamn Fortress of Solitude. I'm putting the crystal in and I'm telling Marlon, too. I'm going to be me finally. And you and me, we're going to Vegas. We're getting married. I just think that it would be a very top-selling comic. Let's quit fucking around with these side characters and get right into the meat and potatoes, you know, the Franken-beans, whatever you want to call it, and let's get this thing going. Let's start hitting the main fucking characters. I mean, they did sort of do it with Robin in the sense Tim Drake has been Robin for decades at this point i mean he's not the original robin but he certainly has had the mantle long enough to where it's like that has been the robin character for a very long time as far as i know john kent is fairly recently i would assume this is the first i've heard about him being the new superman so i'm assuming that's a recent development well whatever i just think it was a missed opportunity not to make dick grayson you know bisexual gay the the one that they pick because honestly it's the bean counters that are picking it but i i understand you know what you said dave exactly but at the same time i do want to uh, give shout outs to all of you that sent that because you know i it's think been it's a good conversation radar. yeah it's I'm a great it's a great anything. conversation no it's a great conversation uh but no i mean if you you're really trying to shake and bother and get everybody all up in arms fuck it Let's hit the big boys. You know, Bruce Wayne, fuck it. You know, let's just say that he's got some kind of addiction to BDSM and let's get this thing fucking rolling, dude. I mean, let's hit your main goddamn characters. Everybody knows Wonder Woman is bisexual. Anyway, there could be a whole thing that we could get going between probably, you know, Power Girl. Yes, Power Girl. Wonder Woman and, you know, Soups. Let's just see what we can see, and uh, let's let's uh, start doing that uh, mature comic line. No, you're just going into to Pornhub parodies. Actually, uh, it's not just porn. It's not just Pornhub parody. There's a whole Tijuana Bible collection out there, and yes, Superman has sucked dick before, just not probably in the states. Anyway, that was some of the feedback we got on that, and thank you very much, uh, Sammy S. I believe that's it. Sammy S., thank you so much, and all of you Absolutely. who pointed that out. We do appreciate that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Uh, any other feedback you'd like to get into, Jason, before we uh, hit the dumpsters? Because there's dumpsters worth hitting. Yeah, the dumpsters, baby. The dumpsters, baby. We got to get to the dumpsters. Dusty Roads, to those who don't know. Because some people don't know what that voice is. And they're like, what the fuck are they doing? What's Dusty going Rose? on over there at One Day Closer to Dead? Good God. They just, uh, their tongues went numb or something. I don't know. Just saying. American dream. Yeah, it is. Feedback, Jason. Do we have any more? Well, we do have feedback. Are you going to do your little fucking sting intro there? Or what I, th- we, what I thought we... that was after the feedback. Okay, I'll give. I'll set you up then. I'll I'll fucking spike the volleyball for you. Great, great, jo- great job, Jason. You're way Jesus to be on. Way to be on the Christ. ball. Oh, believe me, I'm on the ball. Uh-huh. I've got both balls in my hand. Here's what's going on, folks. We did get some feedback from you that apparently all y'all just simply don't think we're um, we're taking the political boogeyman seriously. Now, this is a um, couple of you have said this in the last couple weeks. We've taken a bit of a hit, actually, in some of our listenership. And I can get into that, too, by the way. Oh, that was just uh, Spotify. 
And that was, <laughs> that's only the ones that are carrying us until they don't want to hear us anymore. Uh, to to quote 30, my cousin Vinny, I would love to hear this. About 39-minute mark, we usually stop being listened to. Um, but at any rate, you don't think we're taking it that seriously. And uh, golly gee, that really hurts me. That really hurts me. And uh, I, I think uh, we're, we're probably going to have to get into this, Dave. Well, do you have examples, Jason? Because I'm I'm aware of that general sentiment from something you had mentioned, but I have not heard or read the uh, <clears throat> correspondence per se, because that's not what I do. That's mm-hmm. what you do, Jason. Okay, so the last episode, well, I'm going to go on full-on promo mode if I don't calm down. The last Yay! episode was... Uh, promo Biden- Jason is the best Jason. Shut the fuck up. Sit down, McMahon. The be- the worst fucking thing that happened is we-, we said Biden's report card on our last episode. That was the title. Uh, for many of you, we probably should have said Biden's the greatest fucking president of all time and deserves presidential cookies that we bake at home. And Uncle Joe, you're doing good. And I'm sure that if we had done two hours of that, it would have been one of the top rated podcasts of all time. However, uh, we can tell from the metrics when we, well, at least I can, when I look at Spotify specifically, they give you great metrics as to what's going on within the podcast. The minute that our podcast got into any sort of critical thinking about our current president, uh, we got not just tapered off. No one wanted to fucking listen. Right. Many of the dozens out there just don't give a shit about our opinion unless it's hating Donald Trump or sucking off Joe Biden, which, by the way, we've never done. So that's very, very bizarre to me. Um, but like I said, you know, numbers don't fucking lie. So much of our crowd that listens to us is very obviously uh, pro-liberal, anti-Trump, uh, and uh, doesn't really think they should listen to us if we're talking. And that's w- well within, of course, they can do that. It's their prerogative. Of you course, but you can also be pro-liberal, anti-Trump, thing. and still think that Biden's been a shitty president in a lot of ways. No, apparently there's just two or three of us out there on the whole planet that uh, are contributing to this show that think that. Uh, at any rate, many of you have had an issue with Jason Bailey specifically. Well, I can understand they, that. Just shut up. Which uh, is very interesting that I use a phrase that even I apparently was unaware I had either overused, and for a lot of you using it one time was overusing it. It was calling Donald Trump a political boogeyman. Uh, you really take fucking offense to this. Finally, a platinum listener brought it up on some one of the forums, I don't even know which fucking one, because it's like reading tea leaves to get all this goddamn feedback. We know but, it wasn't uh, Excite. No, that's gone. But uh, I can tell you that it has been brought up in the last several weeks that uh, you feel that as cavalier as we were about cotton candy, uh, particularly at the beginning, we are as cavalier today about the political boogeyman, all in quotations, uh, that basically you think that we are just not taking Donald Trump seriously and the shit's about to hit the fan. So anyway, Dave, there is some... Just some of the feedback. Uh, I'm still waiting for the dumpster fire. I don't know when you like to do your job, but I'm ready to get on with it. Uh, I, w- I would like to hear you ramble a little bit more before I uh, before I step in. But okay, fine. The world is a dumpster fire, Jason. Did you know that? I certainly did. Did you know why? Because it certainly, truly, completely fucking is. See, I didn't use literally at all in that. Indeed. 
And uh, very cavalier of you, Jason. So uh, do you, is there anything that, because I honestly don't know the, the answer to this. Is there anything you're going to directly quote from said feedback, or are we just speaking in generalities here? How would you like to proceed? I would like to proceed in just the following, is that I, I, this is going to be as, I'm not upset with the dozens, okay? I'm not upset with the dozens. I want to put that out there. It is interesting to me that, I can be this worked up because I like to be this worked up in conversation. This is what this fucking podcast is about is throwing the steak on the plate or in my case, some kind of, you know, impossible meat and getting involved in conversation. A lot of you have sent us this information that we are not taking Donald Trump's resurgence uh, very um, seriously. Well, since and, I'm sorry, Jason, but since you've read the feedback and I, I have not, let me respond to that with, with a question. Yeah. Um, how have we not, because we covered his pres his presidency ad nauseum from the, the time the, the podcast started, cause he had already been in office, mm -hmm. you know, several years before we, we started the take into the air. I mean, we didn't want to cover him every week for reasons we've discussed, you know, at length previously. But I think I think we covered his uh, his greatest hits, and I say that of course sarcastically, uh, with with pretty pretty significant vigor. Um, we covered the election extensively. We covered January sixth extensively. We covered the fallout of January sixth. I thought extensively. So I'm not I off the top of my head, I would not see where that criticism is necessarily coming from. I don't either, but, okay. but this is, this is what I, I believe. And, you know, I'm trying to not go full on promo. I really am, but this is, uh, I'm both excited and pissed off and just, my brain is on all firing all fucking neurons right now because there's so much going on. But I can tell you for a fact that I know we picked up most of our audience, uh, in 2020, uh, and a lot of it, yes, was chronicling, um, cotton candy. Okay. But I really think, um, the sizzle, what brought us our listeners and got their, got their dicks hard was covering the Trump presidency. Well, those were also intrinsically tied they together were. as well. Absolutely. But it's really what we were their favorite fucking brand of Trump hate porn. When they reached for the bottle, this is the one they wanted. Um, we never wanted to be a political podcast. That was never something that was like, we're, we didn't mind talking about politics. Certainly it was just whatever we, if we wanted to talk about avocados for the next month, that's certainly within our purview. We can do whatever the fuck we want basically. Okay. But it became to the point that that's the conversation we wanted to have. And there was nothing more to talk about in 2020. Trump was, was driving this shit show. And so we had to talk about him. Apparently what we did was really popular and we did very, 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 very good at this. Okay. Um, because that's why you guys wanted to listen. The minute that Trump was out of office, we were, we sort of just Dave and I know collectively, we're just like, well, thank God we can, okay. It, it, we can talk about something else for a while. It, we don't have to talk about this. And I think it was just Trump fucking fatigue. I can say, I can speak for myself. I cannot speak for Dave on this, but I was just fucking tired of talking about the man oh yeah it wasn't even so much that i hated him it was like i was in a boxing match that went 15 fucking rounds the old school okay and i finally could just sit down and go okay let's have some tea and crumpets for christ's sake this has been a little much and um what it was is a lot of our audience um 
went away for a while. Some of them came back. But a lot of you guys out there, that's what you want to fucking listen to, to is us just, you know, ass rape Donald Trump, uh, you know, on the air, on, on this podcast. Okay. So at any rate, we're doing the podcast. Things are great. Blah, 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 blah. Joe Biden takes office. I think we knew right away. I think most of you knew that we were not going to just be some, well, he's a Democrat. So support him. Everything he fucking does. This podcast no. has never been, this podcast has never been all liberal, all conservative, but we all, at least I believe very free thinking two free thinking motherfuckers here that are always going to give you their opinions. And, and hopefully in a thought-provoking way, which is why I hope you guys are, are, are listening, okay? Because if you're just listening for, well, it's a liberal podcast, they're going to support the Dems, and they're going to beat the shit out of the Republicans, that's not what we do here, folks. And I am self-identifying as a Democrat, and I won't do that, okay? so I am that's not, it. and I won't either. <laughs> no, exactly. But so at any rate, uh, a lot of you have pointed out that we're not taking it seriously. I think a lot of you listen to us or want to listen to us uh, really talk about Donald Trump again and not have me refer to him as some sort of uh, non-threatening entity in our United States of free enterprise. Okay. Uh, when I say that, it's not because I think that he was a figment of our imaginations, that he was some ghost that was boogeyman under the bed that popped out to, to, to scare us and whatnot. What I meant by that is for several liberal you know, people that I, I know, okay. Uh, that I work with, that I bump into. Some of them are friends. Some of them are just, you know, cohorts. Um, you could wake up and your car battery not work and it's Donald Trump's fault. You could wake up and your cream has curdled in the refrigerator. It's Donald Trump's fault. And I'm not saying that like, haha, it's funny. I'm being smarmy. I fucking mean that honestly, that you guys believe that Donald Trump has somehow fucked with your car. So, I mean, it's very strange because the pendulum folks can swing hard on both fucking sides. It, when there is blame to be placed on a motherfucker, no problem. There should be goddamn accountability. You, me, all of us, Donald Trump, every motherfucker should be held accountable. We should also be given kudos for changing, for getting better, what have you. But when you assign accountability to issues, accountability to someone for issues that have nothing to goddamn do with them, folks, that's your issue. That's your fucking issue. So when we're talking about the Afghanistan fiasco, fucking fiasco we were pushing everybody under the fucking bus on that one everybody obama. who's been in government for the last 20 years at the federal level yes obama george w fucking all of course especially w you know, but of yeah. course all the, the original bush administration you i think i covered that pretty fucking well both in the afghanistan issue and the 9 11 uh, uh fucking episode anyway the minute that we're bringing up Joe Biden has some fucking issues that we needed to, you know, he needed to take accountability for, or he should have been involved in better. Oh, well, there's an issue. And what's even more is everybody wants us to shift the blame back to Donald Trump. Fine. Okay. I'm going to tell you right now. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. I'm going to blame for what specifically. Quick. Blame basically that we do not blame Donald Trump for the entire goddamn problems that happened in Afghanistan or their car hood, there being a problem underneath the fucking hood. Do we blame 
fucking the CEO of the United States of Free Enterprise right now for issues? Yes, he's the current sitting motherfucking CEO. He's the president. He has the power to do things he's not doing. As Dave said last week, he's not even fucking fighting for shit. He's just sort of giving lip service and, you know, nudging the conversation along to other people to deal with, which is not getting a goddamn motherfucking thing done. And we will see the results of that midterm election. That's coming up. But at any rate, many of you have sent us in our Proton Mail email, a lot of you have sent us links from YouTube, Twitter, and some other shit, every other forum I, I can't even figure out, of um, Bill Maher's um, slow-moving coup essay editorial monologue thing that he monologue that he did. Okay. Many of you have also sent uh, John Stewart's uh, little interview that he gave the New Yorker celebration thing where he said that Donald Trump is very obviously um, has a very good chance of at least getting the, the, the Republican uh, nomination. I think we have in, said uh, that 2024. as well. We have. So both of them are highly respected as, you know, comedic political essayists uh, and you know, insightful human beings as they are. And the Bill Maher one was sent maybe more times than anything that has been sent to us ever on this show. Okay. So I've watched it multiple times just so that I could watch him again and again and again, not for sake of entertainment, uh, but for the sake of being able to converse about this. But I, I want to let you know, and I'm going to hand it back to Dave so he can comment on all this motherfucking shit, that we take Donald Trump very fucking seriously. We do, okay? Uh, it was a conscious effort on our part not to make this the Donald Trump show the we hate donald trump the podcast okay which we if we really wanted some goddamn listeners that's what we should you know change it to uh we are going to discuss what we want about who we want no matter what their political affiliation period so that's that's what that's about uh before i get into uh all the bill maher stuff that that we can talk about which is very insightful and i think is some good stuff to speak about what do you have to say about all of that, Dave, that you've heard? Fuck off. Back to you, Jason. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I would have taken it back. <laughs> oh, I know you would have. I, I know you would have. Um, well, again, I, I think there's I think there's a little bit of disingenuousness there because also none of these things exist in a vacuum. The one the reason Trump was able to get away with so much shit that at least up until now he had gotten away with is because Everyone was too fucking spineless to hold them accountable for it. And that includes a lot of the Democrats. Now, that wouldn't be Biden's problem because he wasn't in fucking public office at that point. He was, you know, private citizen or whatever. So I'm not putting that on Biden. But um, the fact that Trump poses such a significant threat to national security, and I believe actually democracy, which I'm sure we'll go into in the, on the Mar thing, which I have also seen. Um, and I... You know, Bill Maher, I'm, I'm hit and miss on, but I, I did think that he made some very salient uh, points in, in said uh, monologue. Um, the reason that Trump 
could potentially pose such a significant threat in 2024 is because Biden is not challenging any of these things that are currently going on structurally that are affecting voting rights for people in states across the nation. And the reason for that is it seems like he thinks that maybe it's, I don't know if he's thinking states' rights, like states should be deciding their own voting laws or whatever, but he has not adamantly pushed for the John Lewis Voting Rights Act or the For the People Act. He's given lip service to them, but has he actually really fought to get them passed? No, because if he was, he would have fucking nuked the filibuster or at least attempted such, because the reason those have not been brought to the floor is because Mitch McConnell has said he will filibuster both of them, so therefore those have never even come up for debate. Meanwhile, in Georgia, in Texas, in Arizona, in all of these states where elections were close, you're seeing all of these new election laws passed specifically to make it harder for minorities in general to vote. And you can put as many, you know, color-coded or candy-coded phrasings on it, well, as to protect voting security and all that bullshit. Let's just call a spade a spade. They want to prevent minorities from voting because minorities tend to vote predominantly Democrat. Now, obviously, there's exceptions to that. Um, Hispanics came out very big for Trump, especially, um, you know, like in Florida and in, in high, like, kind of Catholic um, Hispanic communities, because again, they, they very frequently tend to, even if they're more fiscally, um, on the liberal side, um, on social issues, they very frequently tend to lean more on the conservative side and, and Trump leaned very heavily into that and reap benefits from it, like in, in markets like Florida. But in general, these laws that are currently being passed in like 18 different States, I forget the exact number, um, are targeting things like voter vote by mail, early voting registration, and all of these things one by one. I mean, obviously they became more more prevalent during the pandemic, yes, but also they were uh, statistically used by more predominantly minority uh, populations than white people, essentially. And Republicans know that if other people other than white people vote at the polls, they probably very frequently will not vote for them, especially if they're not rich ones. So therefore, it is in their best interests if certain people were not permitted to vote at all. And that has nothing to do with citizens. There has been no actual evidence of widespread voter fraud you find there's there's been like a guy here a, a person there from both political parties there's been you know plenty of republicans that have been caught uh you know rigging their their selective uh polling places or voting under someone else's name or whatever and there's been democrats doing it as well but statistically that number is so insignificant and the reason is because right now they're looking for uh they have a solution without a problem and the solution is, let's get all these, and we, we called this in January, and, and we weren't being overly salient to do it because a lot of people were calling it in January. Marr was calling it in January, and, and even before that, that if Biden won the election, the strategy for the Republicans would be to enact a whole bunch of voting legislation to make it harder for people to vote, and then also redistrict after the census, gerrymander the fuck out of whatever they can get their hands on in order to rig things as much as they can to where they can take power next time around. And that is what we are seeing. And Biden, along with those in his ilk, have been utterly asleep at the fucking wheel for that. 
And just like I think one of the great failures of Obama's presidency was he did not fight hard enough to get his Supreme Court pick Merrick Garland up in front of a Senate confirmation because he was overly confident Hillary was going to win the election, so it didn't matter. Just as I think that was one of his biggest failings, especially in the last days of his presidency, I think this could be one of the biggest failings of Biden's presidency, that he is letting voting rights just get stripped away across the country without lifting a goddamn finger. And yeah, he can give as much lip service to it as he wants, but until he starts talking about nuking Mitch McConnell's filibuster, it's all lip service. So if Trump does come back in office in 2024, Biden does play a role in that because he could have done more and he didn't up until now. Jason. Well, that pretty much sums it the fuck up. I mean, uh, as far as we are concerned, there's not been one stone that has not been unturned here okay on on either trump's issues or biden's issues or the fact that we all know what's fucking happening okay none of this is a fucking surprise folks donald trump is not gone we didn't think that he was fucking gone what we thought is we're able to sit down and have once again maybe a donut or two and a cup of coffee before we get right back into the old resistance fighting but what's even fucking sadder about that is we're not even the resistance the dims are in goddamn control now we're back in the resistance mode they have the presidency the house and the senate and they still have every excuse for not getting things done Exactly. And so you sit there and go, how sad is it for me self-identifying as a Democrat to look at what's going on now and know for a fact, golly gee, we've got a real fucking problem when we are in charge of goddamn everything and we still can't fucking get it done. And in the midterm elections, we're going to pay a hefty motherfucking price for it. And yes, Believe me, Donald Trump does control the Republican Party completely, 100%. He's still, and the reason why is because he controls the mob. I was, I'm a big history buff, okay? I fucking love history. And I can tell you that if you ever want to learn more about the United States of Free Enterprise, you ever want to know where we've been and where we're going to go, all you have to do is study Rome. Just study Rome. That's it. Just study the thousand years these motherfuckers were the head mamajamas of the entire goddamn globe, and you will see every single misstep that we are doing, they did for the entire fall of the basically the greatest empire that ever goddamn existed. And we're doing the same fucking thing, folks. So I can tell you that he who controls the mob, which is the average citizenry of the United States of Free Enterprise, is in charge. They are going to conquer. They are going to be the head dog. They can be a dictator. They can be Hitler. They can be Mussolini. They can be Fidel Castro. And yes, we have our own homegrown motherfucker right here named Donald Trump that's going to do the same thing. Now, I'm not going to break down everything that Bill Maher said. If you want to see it, go fucking see it. Most of you, apparently, all of our listeners all over the world have seen it multiple times and have somehow physical media that you love it so goddamn much. Well, hey, I loved it too. But I do have to sit there and go, yeah, no shit to a lot of it. It's not that he's, I love Bill Maher. I think I like Bill Maher more than most people. Because as a matter of fact, when Dave said, you know, I'm kind of hit and miss with him, most of the times that this has been sent to us, it was accompanied with that message that about, you know, 
40% of the time, you don't agree with Bill Maher at all, but this time you really fucking did. And everything he says about they're going to be in that midterm election where the, the Republicans come surging fucking back in because we've shown as Democrats, we just can't get anything done. Even when all we're doing is begging you for money so that we can be in the office so we can get stuff done. The Republicans are going to come swinging back in hardcore. And then all of a sudden, when it's time for the next presidential election, Trump is going to get that ticket because he's out already controlling it, being a puppeteer, being the godfather, making sure that certain human beings are either out of the Republican Party or elevated in the Republican Party so that he can walk back in as president. And believe me, how the politicians of the Republican Party are controlled, its you could say it's Donald Trump, but really... It's the mob. It's the MAGA motherfucking zombies. The MAGA zombies. Well, it's greed for worship. power. Greed for influence. I, absolutely. They worship Trump. Trump knows this. Therefore, Trump, even not being in politics, has the power over other politicians who refuse, refuse to say, even on any newscast, even if they feel that they're protected on Fox, that Trump lost, that Trump's the election wasn't stolen from Trump. They just can't fucking say it. And by the time Trump comes back, all these motherfuckers in the Republican Party that had even slightly some kind of fucking moral compass that was like, you know what? No, the election wasn't rigged, you piece of shit. And yes, you were basically the instigator of the goddamn insurrection on January 6th. Those people are going to be gone in some capacity, which is the bottom line in any capacity. Of, uh, of this essay that Bill Maher gave, okay? And he did it in a very entertaining you know, way that, yes, it was scary, but he did it with his own showmanship, okay? And that's what a lot of you responded to is the emotionality of what this gentleman did. But all of it is a very no-shit kind of thing. I think what a lot of people have been saying, I said it well over a year ago, is that there is some sort of version of a civil war coming. Some sort of something with violence and guns and sides taking taking up different positions and shooting guns at each other is on the fucking way. We can all feel it. We can all taste it. We can all smell it. And it is coming. And for a lot of people that point to Donald Trump, the one I refer to as the political boogeyman assholes, is really the truth is the fact that he was just the goddamn, you know, he's, he's one of the symptoms of racism of ignorance and people fighting for their past way of life, which was fictional anyway, and not being progressive. He said the right combination of motherfucking words, and they all believed in him. They gave him power, and they're still going to give him power going forward. So no, here at One Day Closer to Dead, we do not feel that Donald Trump is no longer something that needs to be taken fucking seriously. We take him very fucking seriously. But in the meantime, what we'd really like to do, instead of going back into the Rebel Alliance mode, is realize we have won at least a temporary huge battle and should be trying to put the galaxy back in order again. And that's just not goddamn happening. So that's really what I think the, the confusion slash problem is here with some of the dozens coming back on us 
and I would say me in particular, that we just are not, we're being a little too goddamn cavalier with uh, the Trumpster fire that uh, that is going to be raging back. I Believe me, folks, I fucking know he's coming back, and I know the damage that's going to be done. I predicted it over a year ago, maybe further, okay? There, a lot of you, a lot of people out there, at the beginning, we're going, well, there's the, they're not going to be violence. Then January 6th happened. Well, that... As everyone has said, it's now overly used. That was dress rehearsal. There's going to be blood. There will be blood. It is coming because that's where we are in the political divide where people are willing to pick up guns and go, fuck your elections. I'm using a gun to decide who's in control. And that's the end of democracy, which is why the which is why I think Biden has been asleep at the wheel in that regard. I mean, in many regards, but in that regard specifically, and a little bit of connecting tissue, just so uh, for those that are unaware, it all kind of ties together a little bit more. The Supreme Court that Trump, you know, had direct influence over because what was it? Three justices that he put in during his presidency, I believe, when it shouldn't have been, but again, I, and this is again, I, I think Obama did not fight hard enough for this to, to get Merrick Garland confirmed. But um, so once there was the Trump Supreme Court, they immediately, I mean, not immediately, but fairly quickly overturned a couple pre-existing voter rights uh, decisions. And they gutted the uh, Civil Rights like Voting Act. I'm, I'm getting the specific terminology possibly wrong, but... and. That's that's what made it possible for these states to currently be passing the voting legislation that they are currently doing. Because there were multiple states, like Alabama as an example, where because they were on like a list of having previously been uh, discriminatory in their voting laws, they could not pass voting legislation without getting it approved by the federal government first because of their past malfeasance. The Supreme Court ended that. So that gave them free reign to just start passing whatever voting laws they wanted to without having any checks and balances on it. And they went right back to the shit that they wanted to do before. So that was what enabled this, these Supreme Court decisions is what enabled these, these voting laws to now be enacted across the country, which is a big part of the Republican strategy as soon as Trump lost the election. I mean, we all saw that coming. But then also... The fact that, again, the only way you get those guardrails put back on once the Supreme Court ruled was if you have federal legislation that is on the books specifically stating that these are inherent rights and that citizens' rights must be protected. Legislation, like, there, there's a, you know, there's uh, checks and balances on the Supreme Court as well. Whereas if there's legislation that passes, assuming the legislation obviously is, you know, not ridiculously out of line with what is currently on the books legally, but the legislature has the power to pass national voter laws that guarantee the rights of every citizen to vote. And that is how you counter the Supreme Court gutting uh, the Voting Rights Act. And again, none of that has happened because Biden hasn't wanted to fight for it and he doesn't want to tackle the filibuster, which is what he needs to do if he wants to fight for it. Why? Because Joe Manchin said he won't support it? So... Again, yes, Trump is a massive threat. I still think there is a possibility he gets indicted by the um, uh, Southern District of New York before an election even happens. But even then, they would still have to convict him, which is a whole nother, you know, ball of wax. But he still faces significant legal liability that I don't think should be should be overlooked. Um, but at the same time, you can't rely on that either. Um, so. I think that is the number one threat, not only to Biden's presidency or any hope of getting reelected, 
or Harris getting elected if she runs in his place this next cycle. But I think as the number one threat to our democracy directly is all of these voting restrictions that are going in place across the country specifically to make it easier for Republicans to win elections. And Biden's number one priority outside of the pandemic, which obviously has a tremendous sense of, of urgency to it, we discussed that ad nauseum before, but as, as commander-in-chief, it is one of his primary responsibilities to defend those you know, guardrails and to keep those guardrails up and to keep them strong, and he has not. He has failed in that regard up until now just giving lip service and going back to the usual you know bullshit that that washington normally does the normal ways are over folks like decorum don't exist anymore and you only believe i've said this before and jason so have you but you only believe what you are willing to fight for and from what biden has been willing to fight for he does not believe in national voting rights and that could be the downfall not only of the democratic party in midterms and then certainly in 2024 but of the very democracy itself because that's how we end up into you know autocratic or fascism or whatever it ends up being well there you go i think um that covers it uh, we, now, Jason, one very important question. Yeah. Um, on this feedback that we got about not taking Trump seriously, did did any of that feedback end with the words, fuck you, Dr. Cosby? Not a one. So How therefore, it should, have been dis- it should have been disregarded anyway. How dare you, know? you dozens? How dare How you? How dare you? Yeah, we, we, we certainly haven't forgotten about that. But uh, I just think it's interesting to me that I want our listeners out there to know that we do love that you listen to us. We do love the feedback that you give us. And a lot of you uh, have come out very strongly that we should definitely be uh, anti-Trumpers every episode and uh, like Trump watch uh, and and let you know where the storm is uh, currently. And we will absolutely do that. We were crusaders uh, and always uh, will step up when some shit is out of line and be your source of social commentary on it. However, uh, I can tell you that the one thing that I really take pride in what we do here is we do not have an agenda uh, that kind of is for some political party or for some entity or some person. There, There is none of that. We, we, what you hear us say on air on this podcast is really what we think. Uh, sometimes it's amped up for entertainment purposes, but I can tell you that is not falsehood is not fake, false made up or, uh, leaning towards any way that we think we should because, uh, so we hope that you like listening to us. We hope that you love listening to this open, uh, discourse on a lot of, a lot of subjects, not just politics, but we here are not ignorant to the fact that Donald Trump's in complete control of the Republican Party for the most part. And we have a whole nother big time motherfucking conflict, a war coming. Uh, we can see it clear as one day closer to dead. I mean, we, we can fucking see it. Okay. So thank you for your feedback. Uh, it is absolutely wanted. It's warranted. We love it even when we don't agree with it. And this was more just clarification, I think, is that, hey, 
I feel very strongly that Bill Maher and I are thinking exactly the same way on a lot of shit as far as Donald Trump goes, but I don't want you guys to ever think that we just think, well, he's been defeated, so we move on, and we'll never have to deal with this again, and all is right in the world. Obviously, nothing's right in the world, okay? So that's that's all I can really uh, say to you. That's where I need to leave that. Well, Jason, where can the dozens said further feedback to let us know how brilliant our discourse has been oh believe me they fucking know i can tell you that <laughs> at any rate you can always reach us where you fucking reached us this last time at ask dave and jason at protonmail.com because well god damn it protons and fuck you dr cosby so jason um for the next subject i've got good news and i've got bad news for you What's up, bud? Well, uh, the good news is uh, Amazon sent William Shatner into space. Yeah. The bad news is they also brought him back. There we go. Because childhood is dead. I don't know if you knew that, Jason. (laughs) I truly do. Yes, it is. So why don't you take the wheel on this one? Well, folks, with the the last remaining uh, minutes we have on this podcast, I do want to say congratulations to William Shatner for going into space so that Jeff Bezos could have some uh, more publicity for, I believe it's a Blue Horizon uh, space. Blue uh, Origins, I believe. is blue, the, What's uh, Yeah, New Horizons, Blue Origins, whatever the fuck he's got going on. What, whatever money he, he made off the backs of a lot of people in, in sweaty warehouses moving things around. I'm glad that uh, you, you had a launch of a, of a space dildo that went really, really high up and for three minutes uh, lets everyone be weightless, um, sort of like that vomit comet that they trained the real astronauts on. So congratulations, Jeff Bezos, and uh, I hope William Shatner knew where he was. Uh, William Shatner went up into space finally for real uh, this time, uh, albeit for three minutes, I guess, but he was was up there, and uh, it was um, very interesting. The whole thing was very surreal and weird and odd and an odd moment in my life actually because I just I knew this was coming up because I kept seeing these you know I mean it was almost like tabloid headlines William Shatner goes to space like okay yeah right okay I mean Amazon orchestrated it for that reason yeah and I mean so finally I saw this 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 thing Uh, I mean it, it just seems like something off Futurama and uh, I was like, wow, I woke up and I saw the actor William Shatner heads to space. And I'm just like, who the fuck, who the fuck knew I would, I would live to see this. This is just the absolutely fucking bizarre. Not even Leonard Nimoy, who should have been the one that lived uh, longer than William and went up. But uh, anyway, I want to congratulate Bill. Not so much Jeff Bezos. He can suck a dick. But uh, I can tell you for a fact, uh, I'm s- s- sorry, Audible. I can tell you for a fact that... Um, it is very strange for me because I, like so many other listeners out there, so many of the dozens, uh, I think we're William Shatner fans. Uh, I know that I am, but it's been a long, arduous journey, much like space flight. When I was a kid, uh, I love Star Trek. I think we all know this, that I am a diehard uh, Trekkie. I really am a, a, a Trekkie. Uh, Which, the, is the, Shatner your movie. favorite captain? No, or would Shatner that go, is not my favorite. Would that go to no. Jean Luc? 
That's uh, that's Jean Luc. Okay, that's, uh, just checking. That's Jean Luc. Yeah, but the thing is, I'm not disregarding how much sure. I love Captain Kirk. Of course. When I was growing up, uh, watching in syndication Star Trek and seeing Captain Kirk just kick ass and not just figure shit out on the fly and just be a badass motherfucker, uh, I I loved Captain Kirk. Just absolutely loved him. Now he wasn't my favorite of the crew. That would of course be Mister Spock. That would be. Leonard Nimoy, and I love Mr. Spock. That's the one that I was like, that's the coolest fucking character on the series, period. Uh, I definitely grokked Spock, you know what I mean? So it's just one of those things where, but I still love Captain Kirk too. The odd thing is that I was, I'm older than you by, I don't know, four or five years. About 15, 20 years, I believe. So I got to see the evolution of Captain Kirk in real fucking time. The syndicated program was on in the 70s. I mean, you could watch it on PBS. I think it was on CBS. And it was, you know, it was as if Star Trek was still out from the 60s. That's how prevalent Star Trek played in reruns, which is odd because they didn't even hit 100 episodes. But the, the 70 or so episodes they did do, it was on complete rotation all the fucking time. So you you could watch Star Trek on multiple different uh, areas. And we only had like, you know, two and a half channels depending on the uh, tinfoil on top of your TV. So that's uh, that's saying something. At any rate, uh, when they started making motion pictures, when Star Trek started making motion pictures, William Shatner came roaring back to the public consciousness in real time uh, because he was just doing community theater across the nation uh, out of a, like a like some kind of camper or trailer he was living in. This is true. He would show up in the seventies every once in a while on TV as like a guest host or on a, on a game show or something, but he was very much a working actor, even though he was extremely famous for captain Kirk, he became more famous in the seventies for captain Kirk than he did in the sixties when the goddamn show was done. Well, also it it can become very challenging when you become, iconic for one role to to get work as anything other than that one role so that actually could have made things significantly more difficult for him as far as getting other work after that it was and also once again not to make light of it there really was only a few venues that there was all the entertainment made from it's not like today where there's an overabundance of con you know content that you could act on this act on that act on this web thing act on that no it was tv and film and it was all you know basically three or four different fucking companies and they owned every goddamn thing and if you were known as captain kirk well guess what we're not going to cast captain kirk never mind the name william shatner as this thing okay anyway when they started making the motion pictures, and that was spawned because of Star Wars' massive success, uh, you know, you had Paramount going, well, holy shit, you know, we have something like this we still own. It's Star Trek. Why don't we make that into a fucking movie? Yeah, sounds good. Matter of fact, Leonard Nimoy said that. He was sitting in the audience watching Star Wars just like everybody else, and he said out loud, I'm getting a call soon. And he fucking did. They're like, hey, hey, Leonard. Think about uh, putting those ears on again. And that's how the whole movie franchise started. And goddamn, was that fucking successful, particularly through the 1980s. Well, anyway, William Shatner came back to the big screen now. And he's playing Captain Kirk, but he had a different fucking wig on. He wore a wig in the 1960s, some straight blonde get up. And now he was wearing some curly, dark-haired perm thing when he started doing Captain Kirk in the 80s. Are you saying that was not his real hair? I'm sorry I just let you down. Everything I, hope, uh, I, I thought I knew was a lie. 
It's still real to me, damn it. Anyway, um, he, he, I was completely unsure if this was even the same actor. I'm not even making that up. As a kid, I was like, well, that doesn't look like Captain Kirk. He was quite a who bit the, heavier at that point as well who, as he had gotten older. Who, who the fuck is this guy? So, I mean, it had only been maybe 10 to 15 years after he had filmed, uh, you know, Star Trek, the original series. But he did look, in my opinion, significantly different. I'm not saying he was a fat, bloated piece of shit. He just didn't look like Captain Kirk. Now, the roles they gave him, particularly uh, under the direction of Nicholas Meyer, Nicholas Myers, he was um, in, Star, in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. This is really what did it for me. The film was so goddamn good. The writing was so fantastic. And honestly, they were able to pull a performance out of William Shatner that I didn't expect. That I was like, well, okay. Because you got to see a lot more emotionality out of him as an actor, really, in the movies that you had not seen in the series where he just played this you know kind of this i don't I, I will have to use the word cavalier uh devil may care kind of situation going on in most of the episodes he was very cowboy-esque in it where you know leonard nimoy playing spock was definitely the one that was in my opinion a, a better character who was to show no emotion he made him the most emotional character in the series uh, the movies did very well for the most part uh both critically and commercially uh there was some some critic critical missteps particularly in 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 star trek 5 but uh commercially they did fantastic and they did some goddamn good work i still think that star trek 2 is one of my favorite films of all time not just one of my favorite science fiction or star trek films one of my favorite motion pictures that have ever been made is star trek 2 and and william shatner does a great job in it bizarrely enough as i got older and older and i learned more about william shatner the actor and and that person versus captain kirk it really is kind of what we talked about with our hero worshiping uh, kind of segments that we've been doing on two or three uh, podcasts back william shatner is not captain kirk like at all and i think that 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 plays to how strong of an actor he really is because he's just to me always been bizarre and rambling and odd and kind of, you know, huckstery and just weird. Now I've two I've seen him two or three times, but he definitely is not Captain Kirk. Can I say two of my favorite Shatner memories? And you know, I don't know what he's like these days, but it did seem like he certainly took himself a wee bit too seriously back in the day. Um, which is ironic because I think some of his some of his best work in later years has been in comedy where he's actually yeah. like where he played himself in that movie with uh, Robert De Niro and Eddie Murphy where he was teaching them how to be like TV cops. Like he was hilarious in that. But um, two of my favorite uh, Shatner moments. One is from, I don't know what year it was, but it was when TV was still in black and white and he's like on stage smoking a cigarette doing like a spoken word rendition of Rocket Man mm -hmm. and like, is so in love with himself at that at that moment and like it's it's just so pretentious that it must be seen to be believed. And then the other is a radio clip that made its way to YouTube where he was doing a read for some for like a radio station for some sort of like sci-fi story or event or something they were going to be doing and then the producer politely was like, "Hey, if you could just say that with just a little more excitement or just gave him some very mild note." And Shatner was having none of it. 
and through like this little tantrum, he's like, why don't you do it? And then I'll listen to how you do it. And then I'll know that you want it done and I'll do it the way you want it done. Cause I want to do it the way you want it done. Like, and he just starts like coming on fucking glued. So those are my, uh, those are my two, uh, personal favorite, uh, Shatner memories, but yes, continue. And he is a WWE hall of famer to throw that out there as well. Yeah, yeah definitely like that Orson Welles peas. Uh, tirade that Orson Welles did. That Very time. similar in some ways, yeah. yeah. Uh, but at any rate, I, I do like William Shatner. I've seen the man both at Star Trek conventions. I was on shit my dad says. Thank you, Commander Cody. Uh, you know, that was really cool to see him. He is a, a living icon, uh, both kind of an entertainment, but definitely for Trekkies. So, yeah. But today was just like the, the most Shatner moment that I, I just have to shake my head. is one more Shatner moment. The fact that he's 90, he's just, he's also broke broke the space record for oldest human in space of course he because of course he did i mean it's the, it can't get any more surreal than this he actually broke a record today can you imagine um, if he had died on the flight <laughs> i think it would have been better can you imagine honestly, amazon would have had a fucking shit fit oh, though <laughs> please i think it would have been the best thing for captain kirk to fucking die in space if i was 90 i would have held my breath and hope that it fucking happened you're not going to get a better death scene than this pal he just should have done it anyway uh he came back down and was having an extremely existential moment and he kept rambling in that shatner-esque way that he does where it's almost marlon brando-esque really kind of he's talking about how yeah where he's talking about every person needs to do this and it teaches you so much about what that thin blue layer that's there is a lot like life and how things happen to you in life and they say and jeff bezos you can see his stand there like shut the fuck up it's time to pop the champagne the the the, the promo needs to end and there was like nine to ten minutes of Shatner promo he finally just pretty much walked away from on camera and and broke up the champagne it was like yay my dildo came back and I mean it was just like I can't believe I am watching this and I guarantee you if there is a fucking afterlife if there is pond far that can be used somehow I guarantee you that Spock is looking down at him, just shaking his head like, Jesus Christ. So, at any rate, just thought I'd throw that out there. A lot of you tuned in today to see Captain Kirk at the age of 90, who's really William Shatner going to space for the first time. And it was it was just as fucking crazy as Marlon Brando's goddamn interview with Larry King. So... Good job. That was fantastic and fucking weird. Well, I will say I'm not going to deny people their joy, so I don't blame Shatner. Like, if someone offers to send him on a free flight to space, like, why the fuck wouldn't he take it? Well, so of I'd, course. Yeah, so I'd, I'd, I have no beef with Shatner for, for jumping on board that gravy train, because why not? Like, yeah. you know, I, I think Bezos is problematic, but I got no beef with, with Shatner for taking advantage of an opportunity that was offered to him, because fuck it. Why, you're 90. Why not, man? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go, go out with a bang but yeah. uh yeah so that's uh so that's that a happened. thing that's yeah, a thing happened. Yeah. uh so to end the show jason i thought it'd be fun halloween is is coming up upon us which is kind of the start sort of of the the holiday season like i know i've already started seeing christmas ads jesus christ but anyway um so I thought it'd be fun for our little pro wrestling bit to talk. And I mentioned, you know, when I texted you this idea about doing, talking about some Halloween themed wrestling events and gimmicks of the past, I think we can open that up a little bit more to actually just holiday gimmick and, and events in general. Cause there's, there's been many of them and I believe pretty much none of them have been any good. Um, 
and I'm, you know, obviously, like, you know, the Survivor Series started as, like, the Thanksgiving night tradition, but that just happened to be the time of year it was placed. Outside of the gobbledygooker, like, you know, which was not good, they didn't, uh, you know, lean too heavily into the into the Thanksgiving thing outside of just, you know, referencing it here or there. But I'm talking about, I'm talking about things like Halloween Havoc, like, specifically in the name that WCW slash the NWA ran for, for years and years. And then Kevin Nash, when he debuted at one of those events, is Oz, like the great and powerful wizard with, like, gray hair and shit. It was one of many horrible gimmicks that he would be saddled with. Or when Rick Rude debuted at Halloween Havoc for WCW, and they brought him out as, like, the WCW Phantom or something, and he had a mask on and looked all, like, cheesy and shit. And then he just beat the piss out of Tom Zank and then took the mask off. Um, so it was stuff like that, Jason, that I, I want to fondly <clears throat> reminisce about, uh, and then, uh, then we could call it a day. So for, uh, holiday related gimmicks events, what, what comes to your mind? Well, here's the deal. I'm going to have just a little bit of a caveat on that is that it's all fucking horrible. When you combine holiday, anything with wrestling, usually it's the drizzling shit. Steve it Austin really stunning is. Santa Claus was pretty good though. I, I, I guess. Um, but I, w- I do want to say this real quick because we have very limited minutes uh, left. But I want to say this. When you talked about you want to talk about some Halloween wrestling stuff, of course, the first thing that comes to mind is Halloween Havoc. Okay? And I wanted to say two things about Halloween Havoc as a pay-per-view that the NWA slash WCW put on for years. Uh, it was now you know bought by WWE, and they have it now as, a I think, an NXT-type pay-per-view name as well now or some shit like that. But at any rate, I'm talking about the original. The original one, the very first Halloween Havoc uh, happened in 1989, and it was a bunch of motherfuckers teaming up together that that uh, you would love in the main event. I think it was like there was Ric Flair and I saw the Great it. Muda, all that shit. It you was saw Rick it, Flair, right? It was Ric Flair and Sting versus the Great Muda and Terry Funk. Holy shit! And it was yeah. the follow up to the Great American Bash because it was their first event after Great American Bash because they were only doing like four events, a, four pay per views a year. And it and the Great American Bash was my kind of entry into pro wrestling fandom. So the Halloween Havoc that year was the follow up to that. So yeah, I remember that event very clearly, or at least that main event. Well, it's a, it's amazing and a little tie in to uh, last week's episode, which we got great feedback on the Bruno San Martino. Uh, profile, we really did. Everyone was like, why wasn't a movie made? Why wasn't a movie made about Bruno? That's fucking amazing. We didn't know anything about his childhood. We didn't know what all, all this stuff is that Bruno himself is the one that put a kibosh on that and said that he doesn't want entertainment being made out of the hardship of his and his mother's life or something like that. So that's a Bruno San Martino call. He was the special guest referee of the very first Halloween Havoc main yep. event match. And that's a little tie-in that even I did not remember. So anyway, kind of cool. But what I will say is this. Uh, I want all the dozens out there that have become fans of wrestling through us, or maybe they were, you know, laps fans that were watching during the Monday Night Wars and all that entailed. There is a Halloween Havoc, okay? 1997 Halloween Havoc. Oh, is this what I and think it is? I don't know if you you know where we're going. There's a there's a wonderful main event on that card, and and that's yay, okay. Uh, and I'm not trying to put that down. But the third match into the 1997 Halloween Havoc is Eddie Guerrero versus Rey Mysterio Jr., which is what he was going by at the time. This is considered 
a motherfucking classic of all time, not just a classic match for like WCW. We're talking for the NWA WCW combination. It was a match that no one, nobody, not even Eric Bischoff understood what he had booked. The commentators at the time, there were four of them. They didn't understand what they were getting ready to watch. It's a 15 minute, about 14, 15 minute match. And Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio absolutely tear it the fuck up. This is easily watchable and viewable and findable on YouTube. It's something you don't have to pay for. When you're done with this, please go on YouTube and look this match up. Halloween Havoc 1997, or you could just put Eddie Guerrero versus Rey Mysterio, and it will pop the fuck up. And it is one of the greatest wrestling matches I have ever seen. They stole the fucking show. And when I think about Halloween-related bullshit, which everything in wrestling Halloween-related is just like gobbledygook or fucking horrible this is the one thing that I'm like, well, holy shit. On a pay-per-view that shouldn't have done very well, okay, this match stands out as one of the greatest wrestling matches of all time. Rey Mysterio is decked out in full-on Phantom, the entire Phantom costume from the comic books, the entire purple costume. Eddie Guerrero's just had a recent heel turn in the last few months, and to watch, he's the ring general. Eddie is calling the fucking shots in this match. The two of them give a wrestling performance, which you do not need to have promos. You do not need to have a backstory. This is one of those special matches where you can watch those 14 minutes and go, well, I fucking get it. I get what the art form of pro wrestling is all about. See, I thought for sure you were going to say the same about the following year where it was the epic rematch between Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior, where Hogan accidentally like burned his eyebrows off of his face. So getting back to 97 Halloween Havoc, you've got to see this match. I want you to see it, to see the brilliance that is those two performers, and honestly, really in particular, the late, great Eddie Guerrero. Fan-fucking-tastic rest in power. What's crazy is a couple things there is I actually saw their rematch the month later. Um, you know, Halloween Havoc was in October. World War Three was the next pay-per-view in November of that year at the Palace of Auburn Hills. Uh, it, they said in Detroit, but it's really outside of Detroit by quite a bit. But uh, my buddy and I went to that. It was the first pay-per-view I ever went to. The event was not good, unfortunately. But one of the matches on there was a rematch between Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio. And that match was good. It wasn't as good as the, the Halloween Havoc classic. But it certainly was very watchable. And then I would actually see them wrestle each other live again years later at WrestleMania 21. So mm-hmm. I've, seen, I've seen Eddie and Ray wrestle live uh, against wow. each other one-on-one twice. That's amazing. I never, ever got to see Eddie in person in an arena wrestle. And what, that's just a terrible missed opportunity because uh, Eddie is, I mean, what is it? CM Punk thinks he's the greatest in-ring performer of all time. Period. What was what was what was unfortunate about that World War Three event? I said most of the other matches were just not good. Is it like one of the big matches on there was Ric Flair, Kurt Hennig, and the big like blow off after Hennig had turned on the Horseman and all that. There was no reason for that not to be good. They always had great chemistry, and just that match just didn't click. I think Flair also like legit fucked up his ankle like at one point in the middle of it, and then he was really having a hard time moving around. So the match itself was just it was the one time I've seen Ric Flair wrestle live and was not good. But at least I can say I saw it, you know, so yeah. uh, so no, there's yeah. there's that. Um, yeah, Great Muda definitely is part of my mind as far as Halloween Havoc, because I remember they did this thing, because the, it was a cage match um, 
I almost said in a cage, no shit. It was an electrified steel cage was the, the gimmick that it was supposed to be. And so no one could get out because if you tried to climb too high, you'd be electrocuted. So then as the match is about to start, like some of the, they had leaves and shit like on the cage to like make it all look Halloween-y. And then there was like a small fire that started at the top of the cage and they were having trouble putting it out. So Muda like jumped up there and put it out with his mist. Uh, I just always remember that as bad. Like that blew my mind. When I was like nine years old. Um, so yeah, that was, that was a, a great match with, uh, you know, Flair and, and Sting against Muda and, and Funk. Um, and then some of the other, like, just shitty gimmicks that they've done. They had one, I think it was called Thunder Cage a couple years later. might have been around 90, 90 or 91, where there was, like, an eight-man tag or something. Sting was in it. Like, the Steiners were in it. Cactus Jack was in it. Mick wrote about it quite a bit in his book, where, like, they had an electric chair in the middle of this cage match, and you're supposed to put someone in the electric chair and then, like, electrocute them, and Abdullah the Butcher, like, was murdered on live television, essentially. Like a, see, see, in ECW at their height, they actually would have murdered Abdullah the Butcher. They would have got it right. Uh, well, then there was, you know... Uh, Speaking of ECW, they had their uh, December to Dismember pay-per-view under the WWE banner years and years later. That was considered, to this day, one of the worst pay-per-views ever. I've never seen it. I just know the reputation. And that also led to Paul Heyman having apparently a screaming match with Vince McMahon and caused him to leave the company for an extended period of time. Uh, so that was their uh, Christmas-themed uh, show that went so well. The one holiday... The, you know what? The one holiday-themed pay-per-view that I can really think, like has a reputation as a singular event, because there's been good Halloween Havocs and bad Halloween Havocs, but um, as a singular event that actually holds up and has a like a good reputation, St. Valentine's Day Massacre. That's true, but there's only hasn't there only been one? How yeah, many have they that's done? What I, that's what I'm saying, is like right. that singular event that, that, was, singular that was tied event to was Valentine's fantastic. Day actually yeah. held up and has a, a sterling reputation uh, because of the cage match with, with Austin McMahon. I don't remember Dick all that else happened on that show outside of no. Big Show debuting. Well, but. it's one of those things where they did a pay-per-view that was named after a holiday that the main event lived up to yeah. every bit of the fucking hype. And how often is that? Try never. So, uh, no, it's still... It's, it's kind of cool that every once in a while there is a pay-per-view that they name just one time, one event, this is it. And uh, yeah, I uh, wouldn't mind uh, seeing more uh, St. Valentine's Day massacres if they had a big-time main event that, that worked. But yeah, the, usually the holiday gimmicks, they, uh, they really suck, I'll tell you. But the one that <laughs> I, I thought about the most was Halloween Havoc. And Halloween Havoc has had some good matches. I think the one after 97, I think the one in 90. Eight, I think, uh, had Goldberg's best best in ring work easily uh, because DDP was the ring general and came up with the structure of the 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 match and it worked really really fucking well. So and you know, the pay per view cut DDP. out before the uh, pay per view audience could watch it because they missed because WCW mistimed the show. But the match itself, fabulous, yeah, still probably Goldberg's best match. Absolutely, and that that can be found both online and in physical media. So, Halloween Havoc has had some moments where you're like, "Well, goddamn, that was that's not nothing. That was a real thing." And and in the and in the case of Eddie Guerrero, and you know when the Phantom appeared as Rey Mysterio Jr. Uh, just, oh, I thought um, you meant the the WCW Phantom that was Rick Rude trying to do a Phantom of the Opera kind hey, of thing. Hey, Rick Rude could do fucking anything. He could read a telephone book or he could pose to a telephone book. I'm all in. Rick Rick Rude could do anything. So, For those Rick that Rude. don't know, Jason is going to be Rick Rude for Halloween. 
No, I'm gonna when we turn this off, I'm gonna go in the mirror and start pretending I'm him again. That's about half my day. There's an image I really didn't need. So on that note, uh, I'm going to end this torment. I am Dave Beaudry. And I am still your Jason Bailey. And this has been a long ass episode, but we are one day closer to dead, and that day is not and will not be today. So until next week, where I'm sure we'll have oh so much more to discuss.